Well, Brent is gay and Kaylin's gay and Clark is gay and Ryan's gay and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Hey, I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Ryan. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. So we are so excited to launch a new regular podcast where we delve into back issues to help provide context of what's currently happening uh, in the comics or movies or streaming of the things that we're normally talking about in our regular podcast. And we're calling it Class X. Uh, Yes, it's incredibly clever. Uh, (laughs) In the first episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive of the Children of the Vault who were first introduced by Mike Carey and Chris Pacolo in the mid-2000s. And the reason for that is in this week's X-Men number 18, uh, we see Jonathan Hickman delving back into that storyline. He introduced it back in the first issue of X-Men, as well as the fifth issue, and uh, he's bringing it back. So we wanted to provide all of you a, little, a brief description, some context, some discussion of what we're going to happen. So first, I'm going to turn it over to Clark to give us a little bit of, of the background of the Children of the Vault. So Clark? Yeah, so this starts out at M-Day, which actually was when I restarted reading comics again after 10 years away. So as we know, Scarlet Witch says no more mutants and then 90%, 99% of the mutant population is just fucking gone. So there's 198 left and it's an endangered species. So children of the vault. I'm gonna accidentally say children of the atom a few times because I keep <laughs> typing it. So just, just know that I mean children of the vault. All right, flashback, 1970s. Some ch- scientists in Chile um, use temporal acceleration technology to study parallel evolution as we all know. So they lock 3,000 people up in a ship because, you know, that's what you do. Uh, the ship's the Conquistador, which it was supposed to remain closed until, you know, humanity either, like, blew itself up or everyone got diseases. Um, but 40 years later, as I said, Scarlet Witch's M-Day shows up and the, the ship opens. Those Instead of 40 years, it's been 6,000 years for these people. They're now super-powered children of the vault which um, genetic drift and this technology have um, caused them to become an entirely new species designed to become the heirs of humanity in the entire world. And mutants are just in the fucking way. So that's a flashback. Supernovas itself. Sabretooth is on the run for the children. He escapes Mexico, goes to Xavier Institute, and the children don't want to actually do any fucking work, basically. They're making (laughs) other do their shit they want to destroy them but then like not do a damn thing so they get north star and aurora to attack them Iceman dies a few times in this <laughs> our not hero but the one we love the most of the children of the vault seraphina who's a technopath um gets fucking horny as shit for cannonball after seeing him for one second so she touches lady mastermind and just traps him in illusion for like 20 years of fucking and children but then the children don't exist anymore and it's a goddamn mess and he's not too pleased anyways wolverine realizes she doesn't smell so he kills he stops her um anyways children of the vault get the conquistador just want to smash it into xavier's institute but then rogue's team stop him fucking kill all of them except for pero and <laughs> pero and then there's also a bunch of other children of the vault who were just kind of chilling out in Ecuador in Cassandra Nova's Master Mold Sentinel factory. And that's what happened. So quite a bit of backstory there, but um, some of us reread these issues. Some of, the, some of us read them for the first time. 
What do you make of the introduction of the Children of the Vault and how well do you feel they work in the context of the X-Men? Brent? So I think for me, the idea is it's a little bit odd. Um, you know, I have, I'm not as well informed on comic history, so I'm sure it's been done elsewhere as we'll talk about later. But um, one thing I kind of love hated was that they've been locked away for, you know, 30 years, whatever, uh, 10 years, you know, and now it's 9,000 for them. But because of that, they've missed all of our culture and they didn't realize how bad of an idea it is to have a helicarrier. So they just went ahead and <laughs> built one anyway. I think they're very, they're like an interesting little squad. Um, and the fact that they have such a small story arc kind of does well for them because it doesn't put too much weight on them being any individual character being uh, so fascinating to carry it for a longer trajectory. I don't know. Anyone else have thoughts on this, on their intro? Clark? I think it works well because of Chris Boccolo. Yeah. Their character designs are awesome enough or it just, you know, kinetic enough that they matter. They're interesting. Obviously, Serafina's cool as shit. When Kadena shows up at the end with her fucking fishbowl head and her like, <laughs> red striped fucking leather number. I mean, they're, they're gorgeous to look at and very interesting. And right. I mean, we only really meet two of them for real. So, yeah. I agree. I think the character design alone made them captivating to me back in the day when I read it because I'm still confused by all their powers uh, and like what the well she can talk to technology that's friends with the weather that knows and you're like okay well what and she's yeah. invisible sometimes and then other times Serafina everyone can see so it's it's a little bit confusing but you did you didn't get that one of them is a firebender one of them is a waterbender <laughs> I, I I figured out the fire guy pretty fast honestly um but the rest of it um the, the character designs are so cool that when I read it back in the day I was just so captivated by how cool they looked in this like weird Bacalo world um so that that's the first thing that really stuck out to me Kaylin for me um I was reading the X books, you know, at the time, and I've said before on our podcast about how irritated I was with the editorial dr driven mandate uh, to reduce the mutants down to 198. There's a variety of reasons that did it. Joe Casada basically said, "There's too many mutants. We gotta like bring them down." Um, what I really liked is how certain writers took that and they, you know, they took lemons and made them into lemonade. And Mike Carey is the first writer to really do it for me. Um, he um, completely leaned into the fact that these mutants are now an endangered species and now introducing a, another, you know, sort of genetic offshoot of, of humans uh, that were accelerated in this sort of temporal vortex coming in to say, no, we're actually the inheritors of earth completely sort of fit in with what uh, these writers are trying to do. So from a conceptual level, I thought it was great. And then secondarily, I loved, this is probably my favorite uh, interpretation of Rogue ever, mm -hmm. where she's not some love strick, stricken, you know, yes. uh, like, you know, uh, hung up on Gambit, where she's not like new to the X-Men. She's like, she's a badass. She knows what she wants. Uh, Mike Carey doesn't write her with that stupid patois. Like he just <laughs> writes her normally. You can just assume she's got a Southern accent. There's no, 
I'm this or ah uh, that. It's like, stop, 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 stop the fucking stereotypes. She's just cool as shit. I, I just really, really like the storyline a lot. Adam? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck kind of powers they have, but I am very much living for their ability to just fuck shit up. Like, what a cool, like, if, if you had to think about, uh, usually, like, where I think there's, like, you know, so-and-so villain's going to come to, like, the MCU, and you're always like, oh, they kind of got, like, I guess a five-issue run, and we can maybe blow that story out. These are those people. Like, even this first sequence, the Supernova event, just like reading it felt like I was watching kind of like a movie that happens like two or three sequels in where it's just like very cool, very interesting offshoot. Um, and I, I really did enjoy it. I thought all the, like we said, like there's not a whole lot more to their concept than what just currently exists, but even just Serafina taking Cannonball through that journey. Like, again, it just feels like such a fun and interesting story arc for Cannonball, even if it never, it might come, I like, you know, as a person who's reading this as a point in time, I'm sure there's probably like ripple effects from that sort of situation that he had. But like just within that, I'm like, oh, what a cool experience and interesting storyline for both of these characters to kind of wrap around. And also for Serafina to actually have some gravity because like Sangre, Aguja, like, uh, like they're all really great, but obviously they're more just peddling superpowers and saying like interesting, cool things from behind the scenes mm -hmm. as opposed to actually having any impact. Um, but yeah, just overall, I enjoyed it. The kind of the big third act climax on the helicarrier was a bit hilarious to me. Um, but it just, it was just like, it's just a fun, weird action movie in my mind as I read it. And I really enjoyed that they tried to kick it up a notch and try something different. And, and in fact, having an entire team, I like don't want to assume they're all South American, but obviously there's lots of language and stuff like that to in, uh, push that. Uh, and so I really I love that, too, because I don't think you see that very often. Um, I thought it was a really cool spin on taking a different, you know, ethnicity or, or nationality and, and playing with that and making these kind of very established, interesting villains that you want to see more of. Brent? They've got to be all Chilean descent because every single one of their names are like Aguja means needle. That kind yeah. of stuff and sangre blood. Yeah, the, I the assume Chilean government I, just threw three thousand people into a boat. Sorry, turn up that switch. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that certainly it was certainly interesting from the story perspective for this first part because I think that you know there is like six of them and I, you know, didn't realize how many more there were until the end, which I thought, oh, that actually is a nice kind of uh, reveal. Um, but going back to what Kalen was saying about Rogue, and I think kind of the art and atmosphere of the story is so much um, better, uh, or not better, it's so, it's so delightful because it's, I'm not, I did not read, I've not read the M-Day storyline stuff, but this series is so perfectly atmospheric with its darkness without being overbearing that I like kind of felt like constant stress from all the characters and it pushes them to having a more level of conflict that isn't just melodrama. And so as a read, it wasn't like a slog in any way and it wasn't too grimdark either. Yeah. So why don't we move on to the next time we see the children of the vault. So Clark, take us away. All right, so now we're going to X-Men Legacy 238. So literally, what, 50 issues later. Um, this is still Mike Carey. It's called Collision. So Rogue and Magneto 
who were not sleeping together but almost were that at that point. Thank God. I would rather that than fucking gambit. Anyways, they accompany Indra to see his family drama because he's going to suddenly be engaged because his brother's in a coma and he's got to marry this woman now. Uh, along with them are Anal and Loa. Um, for some reason, the children of the vault now have an extra-dimensional city called the Corridor, never explained. Its proximity to Mumbai is creating storms that put a bunch of folks in comas, including Indra's brother. Um, Luth, a light-bending children of the vault, escapes the Corridor and takes up with the X-Men randomly, making Indra's parents see him like a light-based illusion of him naked kissing her. I don't know what the fuck that was. The children of the vault need 30 ah. energy-based that's fucking weird. The children of the vault need 30 <laughs> energy-based power uh, individuals to charge up the angel fire machine so the corridor can run forever. They already have 29. <laughs> they just need another one. The children send the servidors, which are reprogrammed sentinels, who we have to deal with all the time, to capture Luz and Magneto. But Luz has switched places with Indra's fiance, and that woman has no powers. So she just fucks the machine up and it falls to the ground and Mumbai is just the random <laughs> ship there. Magneto just uses his powers and shoves all the children of the vault and the ship out into uh, another dimension, uh, between dimensions. That's what happens. <laughs> so, uh, so question for all of you. Uh, does this reappearance work well as a continuation uh, of the story? So Ryan, we'll start with you. I, I think so. Uh, I think the focus of the first team was on Rogue, and it feels like in their future appearances, we'll talk about it later, won't necessarily just be like, I hate Rogue, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the first appearance, like she was forming the team at this time um, for their second appearance to be related to her in any way, and she is taken captive, and just them having a grudge against her specifically makes me feel nice as a long time comic reader that they can pay some of that stuff off. Um, with that said, <laughs> I get over it y'all. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I just love that they're straight up evil. They're like, it's a sin and a crime if you kill one of us, but if we kill you, whatever, that's pest control. Like they're fucked. <laughs> they're so that's a great happy. line. I love that line. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. Adam? Um, this was not as good to me in terms of overall narrative design to Clark's wonderful recap. That fucking spaceship just exists and then immediately fucks up. This whole thing with Angel Fire, it's like a bunch of MacGuffins and narrative plot devices to bring them back. And I appreciate seeing them. They as characters are very exciting. Fishbowl ladies, great. Paro's back. I think that's maybe Paro. There's some new fucking yeah. people for no reason. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, it's like when you already had a group of people that everybody liked the first run. Um, so I did like that they kept expanding that mythos. I just feel like the overall storyline didn't fully work so much so that when I started reading the first issue, I only, because of obviously the, the language usage, I was like, these must be the right comics. But I was also like, what the fuck are they doing in Mumbai? And what is going, like, it all just felt very off. Um, but, but again, I really do like the core concept of these characters. And I think this temporal acceleration thing and like humans having like genetic drift, I think is, is very fun. It just didn't land as well as I, I wanted it to like the first one did. Um, it, Clark? Clark? It feels like it's a different writer writing it 
yep. who just kind of wanted to just change it up. There's no reason to explain what this ship is because now it's my writing instead yep. of Mark, Mike Carey's, but it is the same fucking person. <laughs> right. That's not another Very thing strange. I did. All, none of, yeah, as, as uh, basically Adam said, it exactly what I was thinking. It's just all MacGuffins all galore. And we got some random woman, like who's gonna be his fiance, who's super <laughs> important just because she's just gonna like sit in the machine and cause it to explode. She's the one who stays the day. It made no, and she just like doesn't care, has nothing to do with anything. It was very frustrating. And at first, I hated Luz, and then by the end, she's such a train wreck that I kind of enjoy her. <laughs> <laughs> Like, why is she just randomly having naked illusions with this 15-year-old boy in the middle of his parents' house with the parents watching? What the they fuck? They are is also that? horny. They are also horny. Anyway. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, yeah. Brent. As much as the prior uh, storyline had great atmosphere and didn't succumb to melodrama quickly this one was basically <laughs> built on a tower of melodrama um i thought my my thought about the corridor was kind of okay maybe this is like maybe the vault itself is like being updated and so like you know as we'll talk about later it becomes this kind of like technological void uh like singularity type thing but um, it, it really is just kind of stupid and uh, rushed. And I was actually not paying attention to who the writer was because I did think it was a different writer. And the way I told it was by the amount of, ah, uh, 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 the Southern accent from Miss Rowe. No, ah, ah, ah. Just like, like every other fucking word is A-H instead of I. And it is just exhausting to get through. That being said, I will say the smart move that was made was in having, um, what's the woman's name? Sangria? What's the- I'm, <laughs> no. what is, Which one are you thinking of? Kadena the Fishbowl? The, 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 uh, Serafina. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought this, maybe it was Sangria. the Fishwoman, actually. <laughs> um, the Fishwoman. Uh, basically, their motivation moving from, look, we- we way undershot our mark on the destruction of humanity. <laughs> Let, let's move away from that as a motivator. Instead, we, we do maintain our superiority and we personally hate you for what you did to us. Um, I think it's a good way that opens the floor for more interesting relationships rather than like, we believe this is our sovereign right. And it's kind of like old school melodramatic, you know, ability. Kaylin? So uh, while I didn't like this as much as Supernovas, I did like it. Um, and I didn't read it the first time around uh, when it was first published because I wasn't reading X-Men Legacy. I read it a few years ago when I was trying to go through all of the X-Books on Marvel Unlimited. Um, what I liked about it was this was in the wake of Second Coming, uh, which is when um, the storyline where they bring uh, Hope back to the modern era uh, and she sparks all uh, like mutants being reborn. And so there's this implication that uh, Luz or Luz is a mutant that they haven't, like, who just, who, who they have found. And I kind of like that, like, there's a little bit of a swerve there. Like, we, as the, you know, through the omniscient narrator point of view, we knew that she wasn't, but, like, Rogue and Magneto didn't either. Another reason I liked it was kind of the melodrama, Brent, uh, like, with Indra, who's a character that <laughs> isn't really in very many books, um, but, like, the fact that they go in... Uh, 
to Mumbai for him to deal with his family and his brothers in a coma. I'm like, this is straight up like Indian <laughs> Bollywood melodrama. And I was eating it up like the Galab Jamans that they have at the house. So I did love that. And then thirdly, I really like the way Carrie writes Magneto. I think yeah. there are some writers that get him well. Hickman gets him well. Uh, I think Colin Bunn does. I think Mike Carey certainly does where he just gets really captain sensible with rogue. It's like, can you just do this? And she's like, Oh, my stars and garters. I'm like, no bitch. <laughs> just fucking, just fucking get it done. Like you've got to like, like, this is like the, he's, he's like, I'm not even insulting you. This is like the most powerful you can be and the most responsible you can be by just figuring this out. Right. It's it's kind of crazy that he gets Rogue wrong in the X-Men Legacy series, which in theory was supposed to be completely focused on Rogue training the next generation of like mutants. And all she did was say sugar the whole time. Like it was kind of but it, it like his first go at it was so much better. So it's weird that like when he had to supremely focus basically on Rogue and it was also Magneto was sort of like the second character in this arc. Well, a lot of yeah. these arc. But like, it's I so weird. That it's, yeah, what, what do you think it is? I think it's editorially driven. I think they wanted to make her more like her previous uh, incarnations or previous yeah. interpretations. And so they're like, you got to make her like a little more Southern Belle type, you know? I'm like, you wrote her so well the first time around. And I actually didn't even mind it so much in the second story in Collision, but uh, it wasn't as strong as Supernovas. Adam? Yeah, I was going to say, it's definitely disappointing to have watched like such a cool origin story for Rogue taking leadership of a team from that, that original Supernovas. And then, yeah, it just, it, it just felt very regressive to see her in her current role like in that uh, Collision. And I was, I was definitely disappointed in it. I loved, I did, I also kind of enjoyed the weird Bollywood mel melodrama. And I really appreciated too when they were getting married and like, they were like, Anal was like, shouldn't we go? And they're just like, no, no, no. It'll take just a second. We just gotta no, no, no. Their solution was, <laughs> we should get married right now. We'll have a notoriously quick Indian wedding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Every Indian <laughs> wedding I have been to is four hours long at at the very least it's crazy well arc. it's so shitty because it's like indra was this is the only time he's really gotten a story arc dedicated to him he's always been a background character and like eh, like come on i mean he looks cool in this these issues but that's about it honestly he, he also yeah. broke somebody's arm really setting into motion i assume yeah. a ongoing path for him to becoming a super villain or just no other storyline at all <laughs> but <that was, laughs> He becomes like a non-violent supervillain. Do, do you like the fact that he's the youngest of all of the new X-Men and is like built to shit and is just randomly naked and this weirdest and then like murdering somebody? How, how old is he? He's he was 15 when but, something but, like that. Oh, but I don't like, like this a, at all. But like no. a semi-pro bodybuilder, like he's, someone yeah, like exactly. Well, he's he's certainly under 18 because you know these people don't age. Ooh. There you go. <laughs> so why don't we move on? Ten years later, uh, Carrie has stopped writing the X books as well as Throne of the Vault, and we haven't seen them until uh, X Men number one for a brief second, and then X Men number five. So Clark, 
Yeah, and X Men number one, we see her for uh, we see Seraphina again for a hot second. The X Men rescue some random mutant kids from Orcus. Seraphina's just trapped there too. She pieces out. The X Men then in X Men number five follow her to the Master Mold Factory, as we said earlier, in Ecuador, which is the location of the vault. A lot of these phrases I'm going to use now don't make any sense, <laughs> and it's just because of the weird AI technology that I'm going to talk about. Anyways. Um, she enters and what I call what the machine called the uh, secondary threshold of the city is kind of like the AI entryway that talks to you and makes sure you're like not fucking gross and diseased <laughs> um, that's what they do um, it notes that there's, yeah it, there, it notes oh no it notes there's increased activity of homo superior which clearly because you know Don of X and Krakow and everything and that the vault has to remain closed from now on until all the children evolve to child level three quote unquote <laughs> seraphina is currently a level two uh, we find out that she is part of a pod that we're doing reconnaissance with all the ones we originally saw so sangre and um aguja and and all those sluts Pero and everything anyways all four of them are dead we don't we don't know exactly when or why or anything like that so Ch- cyclops sends sink darwin and laura as we know to um, X-23 slash Wolverine to infiltrate the base. But the secondary threshold is maybe like, you guys are intruders and then we don't see them anymore. And then three months later, Cyclops asks how long it's been in the vault, 537 years. Um, And now we're gonna find out what happens in X-Men 18. Well, Uh, we think so. Uh, I'm gonna quickly say that I'm not gonna identify as an adult anymore. I'm just gonna be as a 30 year old, a child level three. And then when I turn 40, I'll be child level four until I'm dead. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) I love it. When my friend Kathy- You mean child level four. (laughs) Kathy turned 20, it was was Kathy 2.0. We had a lot of really fucked up dolls we put in the freezer that had Kathy 2.0 fortune (laughs) cookies inside of them. Just so you know. And then they became temporally advanced 537 yeah. years when you took yeah. them out of the freezer. God, and they murdered us all. So, um, so clearly, like, they haven't been seen by any X-Writers while Jonathan Hickman brought them back. I think we were all kind of excited when we saw Seraphina in X-Men number one, and then we got it more into an X-Men number five as Clark went over. And then this week, X-Men number 18 is coming out. The cover has... Uh, Laura, Sink, and Darwin coming out of the vault. Um, question for y'all. Why do you think Hickman brought them back? And what do you think is going to happen in the next issue of X-Men? Brian. Um, so they so they briefly talk about it in some of the previous issues that they are sort of technology-based going forward. And t- their evolution comes through that. So with all the stuff that Hickman is putting in, um, I think he's very much got an eye on that. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Karima was like mm. a little bit into yeah. this plot as well, because I think he's using things from that past. He really wants to play up that technology. That technology is coming to motherfucking kill them. And he really <laughs> wants to do that. I mean, like the master mold is basically like their chastity belt that they have to like enter to get in. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, they're, they're playing something up and we've seen so many in hawks and Pox of that stuff that I, I think he does have a greater plan. I don't know what the fuck it is, but I'm excited for it. Brent. Brent. 
Um, so I think that kind of just as a concept, the idea of the vault is a very generous one to future writers because the way it's kind of set up, I think inadvertently, is that someone wrote about it and then there's a big gap before they wrote about it again. And there's a big gap before <laughs> they wrote about it again. And it kind of allows you, you know, in the real world writing to move these characters in very huge jumps. So it'd be like if they had like some weird experiment that was supposed to take 70 years so that writers in 70 years could say, hey, guess what? That experiment just finished and they could tell a different story at that time. Um, I don't know how it's going to actually play out now, I, but I do think I agree with Ryan that all the stuff that we saw in Hawks and Pox makes, I would definitely dislike the Children of the Vault more if I hadn't read Hawks and Pox first. Yeah. Clark? Um, I was thinking just in terms, of, I mentioned it, the, the concept of like them being in a pod of five, which obviously works with the, not just the five, it's also the five lights, as we, we mentioned earlier, you know, right after Second Coming when we actually had five new mutants. So I guess think that's all tied in. We also have a lot of stuff for talking about in Reign of X. Is that what it's called? I don't even fucking know. Yeah. Um, where, where they are talking about creating pods. So it's definitely showing, you know, the two against to each other and trying to like that kind of converging in these concepts or these ideas for what their society should be. Uh, Kaylin. Oh, um, so kind of uh, jumping off what Ryan was saying, if you remember in uh, House of X uh, and Powers of Ten, where in the different lives of Moira, mostly in the ninth life and the sixth life, we saw, you know, where technology had become like the, you know, had evolved so, so, so much that it was now the superior beings in that world with Nimrod. Nimrod the Greater, Nimrod the Lesser, um, you know, the fact that like the phalanx were coming in to absorb Earth and everybody. Um, Hickman really likes playing up that kind of stuff, that sort of like, you know, offshoot of evolution, um, how stuff uh, like moves through society. Um, I, I think this is one of those things where like he was reading so many back issues of X-Men. It's like, that's pretty fucking cool. And I kind of want to delve into it. And to his credit, he has done um, what almost no other X writer, in my opinion, has done by taking in things that may have worked, may not have worked, and made it part of a cohesive narrative and saying all of this matters. And this is how all of these stories evolve the X-Men. And here's how I'm going to evolve the X-Men. So it's from a metatextual level, it's fucking great. I really love it. And I'm very excited about it. Adam? Yeah, I'm 100% in line with all of you and especially with Brent, which is like, it was really nice to be able to, because I remember when we first read X-Men 1 and you were all like, oh my God, it's fucking Serafina. And I was like, what are these faggots talking about? And, <laughs> like, and you're like, what about those gorillas? I'm fine. What about the gorillas? <laughs> yeah, I was like, are they gorilla related or not? Do we get that injectable serum to use in real life? I don't fucking know, but I want it. Um, but I, it was really fun to go back and be like, oh, cool. So when I did read X-Men number one and having that kind of time compression, uh, that temporal ex acceleration of reading them all in one week, I was like, oh my God, it's them. And I love it. This is so great. Although I did have to be reminded that it was Serafina because now she's like 
new negative color. So I was like, yeah. who the fuck is that? Like, I don't get who that is. Maybe um, that's what happens with ch child level twos. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, that's what I was trying to figure out, especially in X-Men 1 when they ran down the pod. So obviously it's the first five from Supernovas and then they kind of jump to like, it's a total of 15 people um, beyond restoring and upgrade, re restoring the first four plus Serafina. There's also Empire, Judge, Builder, Sword, Knife, Flight. I'm what? wondering if that, is that like Cora Ghidorah and a bunch of the people we saw in the uh, collision, they just didn't attach the names or Clark? Those are just going to be other people. They, they mentioned the fact that um, there are 600 pods Okay. Of five people. So there's 3,000 of them. So obviously we're not going to meet all of them. Um, my question is, when did Pero die? Are these other four, did they die in Mike Carey's run and have not come back? Or did they suddenly yeah, come did, back? I thought they all they all died in Supernova. They, they, died, they died in the first run. Mike right. Carey's yeah. first run, yeah. And then Pero, I thought, died in the second one. Because he, didn't he come back? Wasn't he there? He, in, he, he had too much chocolate. <laughs> and then I think he passed away. Yeah. He's a I, dog. Okay. Oh, no, that's sad. I um, was a little, yeah. I mean, I would just, in general, I'm just disappointed that they didn't better leverage because I thought the Supernova characters, that five set was far more interesting. As mm -hmm. much as I love Fishbowl, great visual image. Kadena, like a lot of them didn't, because they didn't show up. They showed up really late and it was only four issues. So I think it was hard to form that attachment. We're like watching the machinations of Sangre and the rest of the team in Supernova was fucking awesome. And you're like, well, these people yeah. are so cool. Like these people are taking down the X-Men. That's so neat. Um, I'm clearly so, not using any of these people cause they just made up new characters. There's the yeah. leads are just random other people. I know. So it's just, and like Fuego is like, it's just disappointing. I'm hoping that they'll kind of do, I, I'm interested to see what they do. It, it's, it's very exciting. And like I said, reading, rereading five with the information of Supernova's and uh, Collision so recently made me just really excited to see them come back. Cause they, I like Brent, Brent, the way you said it, which is like after Collision, now that they've gotten over this like immediate world domination, they can be so much more interesting with fucking around with people and having motivations. One thing I did think though, especially with one and like five from the new X-Men run and Hickman's run, I'm just like, wait, so they can just go back to sleep in the vault? Like, I get that that's their MO. They are supposed they were resurrected, so they have to take over the planet. But I'm also like, just go the fuck back to sleep until another cataclysmic <laughs> event, bitch. Like, obviously you lost. <laughs> just save up some time. And my, my final point is just like, if it's three months is 537 years, the gaps between these runs are like, what? 10 years apart so are they like another six thousand years don't, don't worry about that don't worry don't worry about that yeah. <laughs> um so i want to um, um ask kind of an old school the people who have who know more of the x-men history kaylin clark and ryan um you talked a little bit about it but kind of how would you characterize uh the place of the children of the vault um in it for the x-men and they don't have anywhere else they show up in marvel but um, maybe like you, how you responded to them when you first read about them kind of personally. Kaylin? So as I mentioned before, um, I really did enjoy this storyline when I first read it because um, it was a, a writer taking a concept that I didn't love and like really trying to make something really cool out of it. 
Uh, I will say I'm I'm probably in the minority with the exception of Serafina. I didn't really care for their visual, even with Chris Bacalo's art. Uh, and Chris, ba Chris Bacalo is one of those artists that like, I love looking at his stuff and then I get lost in the pages and I'm like, <laughs> where the fuck am I supposed to focus? Um, like he, he, sometimes he does really well. Sometimes he gets so uh, caught up in the details that it just, it's like, where does my eye go? Um, but I do think like this is, Sometimes I almost wish that like X-Men existed like outside of the Marvel universe because this is the kind of stuff where like really works there. And obviously, you know, the X-Men are part of Marvel and like you need that interaction with like Spider-Man, Captain America, Fantastic Four and so on and so forth. But um, like Children of the Vault stuff, I just don't think would have worked too well with the greater Marvel universe. Brian? I, I completely agree. <laughs> First and foremost with Bacalo's art, because there's one where one scene where he just has scattered robots everywhere and there was no robots in the fight. And then there was just <laughs> a single goldfish like jumping in the air. And I'm like, okay, so you just wanted to draw that. And I appreciate it because it looks cute. But but yeah, it's, it's sometimes nonsense. But the, the visuals did play a lot into it for me. Um, and the concept of, hey, this is the next generation of what humans are going to be. And then this is the next generation of what the mutants are going to be in another, on another level. Me in my stupid comic brain, when I read this like 20 years ago, I thought I was like, whoa, they just upped themselves. Like I was, my mind, my mind at the time was like, whoa. And I was still kind of new to comics at the time back then, but like I thought that was so cool. You, I wanted, I want you to like have started reading news about the Chilean government to be like, what's really going on over there? <laughs> yeah. and, and I was like, all these names are in different, a different language. And then yeah. people were like, we know, we know. What's going on? What's what? What's going on with Pinochle down there, huh? <laughs> Clark. My favorite character from this entire that um, Supernova's run was that robot opossum that just randomly hanging out in the bottom right corner for no fucking reason. <laughs> that's involved in the battle. What the hell is any of that? I love it. It's so stupid. Brent, what was your? So well, Mike, I was going to ask another question, which is like, why do you think that the children succeeded in your mind, whereas like similar concepts? like the Neo failed. Uh, Kalen? It's because of the backstory that, that Carrie gave. Um, it, it is really, uh, really clever to provide context of these scientists in Chile saying, you know, at some point humanity is going to be wiped out and we've got to have like a plan B and we're going to do this. And them, uh, waking up too early, M-Day being the catalyst, Wanda Maximoff being the catalyst, them coming out and saying, yeah, the world's not really over, but we're out now and we're going to just wipe out first mutants and then ultimately we're going to wipe out the humans and then it'll be us. We're the inheritors of Earth. Whereas the Neo is a concept uh, that was sort of similar that Claremont introduced when he came back for the first time in like the year 2000. And they, there's no backstory. They're like, this is just the next evolution of mutants. I'm like, what does that even fucking mean? You've got Homo Superior. Are they Homo Superior? Your, your, like what? Like, I, like it was so. It was just, it was just complete nonsense. It's like body, yaddy, 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 Superior, Now that I'm into. Were hideously designed. 
they, looked, they were trying fuck. to be like badass image late 90s pieces of shit um i think mike carey was also at this point a better writer better storyteller and therefore the character is much more interesting because the writer makes it more interesting um the other part is that they, yeah they just made shit up for the neo i was just looking at this they had the guardian clan and the mind clan and the spirit clan it's all fucking cheesebally shit that you'd seen like late power ranger seasons yeah also um the concept of the neo all the like like the characters itself just look like tron legacy the entire time it's just like <laughs> giant circles and like colored lights everywhere uh, they, uh, they look, look like clowns they look like fucking clowns exactly but i i think what it is is that marvel and x-men at the time were telling us the neo is a big deal you have to worry about the neo they're such a big deal and then mm -hmm. we all said i don't like this they're not a big deal but like my <laughs> just so natural and you're just like okay i like these characters i don't know yeah. much about them i want to know more like it wasn't forced down our throat is why i think it worked Clark. yeah jumping with ryan is that every single character jobbed to these new neo characters the neo are so cool they like fuck nightcrawler up and they fuck cecilia reyes up and they fuck mr sinister up and blah 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 i mean they whatchamacallit sangre fucked up iceman but iceman immediately was better and killed him um so or so you know i don't know it doesn't seem like we have to be as pressed how cool they are Taylor? What I what I liked about them too, um, Clark mentioned this in his recap, is uh, they weren't quote unquote lazy by sending like North Star and Aurora after the X Men. They're just smart. <laughs> They're like, yeah. we're delegating this shit. We're like, mm, we're not going to get our hands dirty. We're going to use their own people against them. And like, I love that. Like, you've got like uh, like turning like former allies into enemies uh, of like these two incredibly powerful mutants that can really fuck some shit up. I thought that was really great the one thing that i didn't enjoy um that i thought was kind of a mistake in rereading it was there was the interlude of like the shiar empire which was an uh like an allusion to like what was happening in uncanny x-men at the time that was the rise and fall of the shiar empire so i just was like uh this didn't it just it never was mentioned again during supernovas it just like popped up and then it like popped away Brent, uh the one thing about uh um uh, what's his name and Aurora uh, attacking a North Star and Aurora attacking the manor was my first thought was, uh Oh, we've got enhanced on the field. Uh, <laughs> just imagining Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And I'm like, that movie is terrible. <laughs> right. And it's ruined people attacking things. <laughs> so this is a question for Adam and Brent, since y'all are a little bit newer to the X books compared to Clark, Ryan and me. But what did you what did you think about you've answered this a little bit already, but like what did you think about this reading it almost a little bit out of context? Uh like not reading it when it came out, but like reading it like in in relation to what's currently happening in the X books. Right? Uh high concept sci-fi stuff, you know, it gets to me right in my core. So the the idea of them is interesting. I am constantly at a little bit of odds with the explanation of who the fuck these people are um, <laughs> because it's really hard for me to hear someone say, we're the next step in evolution. We're like something with technology We're we've evolved. And it's like, well, 
mutants are the next step in evolution for humans, but because they can still mate, they're the same species. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, what do you mean when you say you've made a step? Like, there, there's it's, no it's, technology. It's nebulous enough. There's no technology where your hair, your like head's on fire. Like there's no amount of technology. You can just become yeah. a flaming skull like uh, Fuego. <laughs> but, but apparently for them, there is. And I don't <laughs> know what that means as like a species. The thing that I think I'm interested in, it's, you know, because it's an open blank canvas, but like what kind of culture would they have? So obviously we don't want any mind gang or something like that. But if there is some way of trying to like, show more about how they interact with each other in the way that Araco, you know, kind of has a war culture compared to Krakoa that's trying to coexist. I think I'm very interested to see how that plays out, but it's so open-ended that, you know, you kind of feel like it's like uh, Boba Fett, like, oh, that looks really cool. I don't know what's going on under the mask though because you haven't given it any dialogue. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Brent. I, for X-Men number 18, I really hope they spend a little time kind of delving into what happens in the vault besides just standing in front of a giant AI and getting read random ass shit that doesn't make any sense. Like, because they're all, they obviously are sort of mentally and socially adjusted, even though they're fucking like crazy and want to kill people. Like they're still obviously can interact and have conversations and they should have some level of lives outside of world domination. So I'm hoping they'll, play into that a lot i really like i said already before i really like the concept i thought bacalos are i've loved him since as a child reading steampunk so i was just like i felt very much in my like safe zone like my kid radar was going off where i'm like ah, oh, it's such a cool story and look at this art i do think it's very easy to get lost in all of it just like it was in steampunk i'm always like what the fuck is happening on these channels um but yeah very cool character designs just overall enjoyable storylines and I actually, it's funny, Kayla, when you mentioned the fact that like you almost wish they were kind of a little bit separated so that that way kind of like some of the stuff could breathe outside of more of the larger Marvel universe. They actually remind me kind of, and I, I, I like, I feel like I need to counter, even though I don't do this too often, but I want to do it more. This does weirdly remind me of uh, the line from Injustice series, which is like Joker's like, I got tired of losing, so I changed the game. And like, I would actually love to see these uh, folks go up against like the Avengers or other team. Like they're just such a fucking interesting, cool team that I can see them playing against and fucking up like multiple teams, other teams lives beyond the X-Men. Um, and so I, I really hope that this next coming issue and hopefully maybe even subsequent issues really allow them to be like imprinted or implanted uh, more, more significantly and potentially more ongoingly in the Marvel universe beyond like, turning into a serpent squad or have, or the wrecking crew, like all those shitty characters that randomly show up for like people to just take out. Cause I feel like that's where they could end up if they don't take the storyline seriously, which it sounds like they are, but you know, who knows after Hickman what might happen, but I'm hoping they do enough with these characters to make them feel like you're even talking about Brent, give them that full context. So like they really, they really embed themselves in the, the Marvel universe. I hope we find okay. out that their culture is just super Chilean to the nth degree. Like they eat empanadas 
constantly just like non-stop corn casserole they just like sleep in beds of it they're so <laughs> they like they they still have empanadas and they're like we can't technologically improve on an empanada <laughs> and they're eventually like let me take you to our god and it's his name is just empanada and you're like oh, oh no but it's it's the the ai is m dash p a etc etc yeah exactly yeah, 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 yeah i hope the only way they can get to child level three is they just had to eat like six thousand empanadas <laughs> this is, this I, I is will a say terrible we, we don't know I hate this. we don't know much about chilean culture <laughs> oh, that's why i talked about corn casserole <laughs> you think? really a real one-two punch <laughs> from clark <laughs> all right so uh, i think i know the answer to this but i'm gonna ask anyway who is your favorite child of the vault and why is it seraphina <laughs> i Ryan. i did I did like Luz. What, well, who'd you like, Adam? I liked Luz. I thought that I thought they didn't fit Please. at all in the kind of Children of the Vault, at least for what we have seen so far, and even in the that second run, which like Cora Cora Ghidorah was, who sounds like a Godzilla villain, was basically <laughs> just like they're all very much like militant war people, and so I thought it was kind of cool to have this other person. I almost wish there was a little bit bit more, but. Anyone that's going to use light refraction to create naked statues of underage people making out in the middle of their parents' bedroom, I'm here for it, I guess. That was <laughs> in a hallway, honestly. Yeah. She didn't hey, try. everywhere is the parents' bedroom in that house. <laughs> so I didn't realize it until about 10 minutes ago. Serafina and Luz both did some weird illusionary sex stuff to people. For real. It's fucking Why, why are the only children of the vault that actually have done anything weird well, they, they did say they're asexual so they're like curious about it so it i mean maybe so they're just quasi molesting um 15 to 25 year olds shadow molesting is that a thing <laughs> i i want to i want to do my favorite which is Pero, which i love him so much because he somehow survived the first encounter and the second encounter, but then died off camera somewhere. And we don't even care. Um, he, he Foreshadowing, was, Ryan, that's how you're dying. <laughs> his name is Dog. Um, and, you know, so many of these different uh, children of the vault have so many different style aesthetics, you know, like fishbowls, um, futuristic. And he's just like, I'm going to go with old school, like biker gang. And I yeah. think that's cool. I think it's, it's fun. So good on him. He seems nice. <laughs> My favorite character I already oh, said sorry, was, sorry. The, was the um, the, uh, the opossum, the robot opossum. Yeah, great. <laughs> I, I really did like Serafina because visually speaking, she was the most interesting. I mean, she looked a little bit like Lenore from Hot Topic. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but I kind of like that as like a recovering goth. Um, but... Um, <laughs> I, I love her character so much of exactly of what she did to Sam uh, by, you know, saying, I'm really interested in like sexual reproduction. So I'm going to create this fantasy life for us where we're, we're married, we're flirting, we're, you know, we have a kids, we've got a family, all this kind of stuff. And it lasted like all of like 20 minutes. I think she's, she's by far like my MVP of any of the children of the vault. Like she's, by far, like she's like the most most interesting. Brett, uh, I liked uh, Red Mrs. Freeze. Uh, I thought she was kind of fun and tough. Uh, but I also really liked all of the people on the corridor 
who know that Luz, or however you pronounce her name, has these light powers and can do amazing, incredible things with it. And then they constantly underestimate her every single time. Like, the bitch could make an illusion. Why would you trust what you see in front of your eyes when you're dealing with her? But they're just that stupid. So uh, do you think that they or these stories could work in an adaptation, whether it be a movie or a TV show? A thousand percent. Yeah, I I already said it at the beginning of the podcast and I'm like, like I said, Supernovas itself is a perfect storyline for a second, third movie or second, third season of like a really reworked and rethought X-Men play. Again, if it's like a school base, if it's if they're running off the Krakoa model, not as much, but like what an easy thing to explore. They're inter like the entire setup of them in Supernovas felt like a movie these behind the scenes people doing fun cool shit probably more tv show now that i think about it it's like you always do those couple of episodes to be like what the fuck is happening and then you finally see them um but yeah i think they're totally ready for prime time and they could do so much with them and this sounds ridiculous but i think it's also a great marketing aspect of the fact that they are all chilean so there's even diversity in their villain sets and yes, things like they, that so i think and it's great. so many toys as well yeah <laughs> yeah i think that uh the, they'd probably be harder to adapt for a film um, because there's enough of them to where you've got to balance all of their personalities versus the personalities you'd get to experience of the X-Men in that movie. But in a TV show where they could possibly come back, uh, I think that there would be a lot more room for them to show some of these other characters, get audiences to like them. And you've already got the kind of more establishment of the X-Men that whatever machinations they have uh, would could fill out a season and then later reoccurrences. Kaylin? Uh Yeah, I agree with everything you've said because God help me if we see another goddamn adaptation of the Dark Phoenix saga, Days of Future <laughs> Past, Apocalypse of the Big Bad. It's like, stop. Like The X-Men have so many interesting antagonists and so many interesting things to adapt from. Why not this? Why not one that's like maybe not as well known but could still work in a high concept sci-fi way. I think a TV show was definitely, or streaming rather, would be much better for this than a movie. But I think that largely of the X-Men anyway, like when they eventually do bring them into the MCU, like clearly they will do movies, but like I think they're better off doing it as, as like a, a WandaVision or the upcoming Falcon and Winter Soldier or Loki, that kind of like, you know, seven, eight, ten episode miniseries. All right. So anything else that we've missed so far that you guys want to bring up? Just one mm. quick note. In all those weird files that they were giving people new names, one of them simply said, sword. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> X of swords again. Uh-oh. <laughs> children of the swords is all I'm saying. That that whole like thing of all those upgrades and everything, that's what made me laugh so much. Cause like it obviously established that that first five was the recon team, which makes a lot of sense. And then to magically have all these other fucking people and pods in this traveling trans-dimensional city that they randomly created or found. I was like, what the fuck is this? So let's hope they tone that back a little bit and focus on the vault on X-Men 18, I think. <laughs> well, uh, we're gonna find out uh what happens in x-men 18 in a couple of days uh we'll be talking about it on our regular episode issue number 177 uh but uh oh go ahead clark 
Do you think that the reason we don't see Katana, I mean, Kadena and all of them is that they're still on the corridor? Maybe. Possibly. Yeah, I was wondering that too. Like, why were they not featured at all? They're just fucking gone and not in the story. She's living in Atlantis now. She had a change of heart and decided to use her underground water sea equipment to find out new life down there, is what I'm sure. interpreting. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, we've been Homo Superior. You know, you can find us on Twitter at Homo Superior X and Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast. And as I said at the outset, this is our first uh, uh, foray into Class X. Please interact with us. Let us know are there any storylines, comics, issues that you want us to review uh analyze uh make fun of be dumb uh, be dumb about uh because that is clearly our brand so send us a tweet or send us a message uh on instagram uh thank you so much for listening class dismissed oh hey